0: The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Kids can go ahead and be dismissed to their classrooms while they're doing that. Uh, Why don't you uh, grab your Bibles, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today. How many of you are excited for that? All right. If you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, you can uh, take one out of the seat backs that's uh, somewhere around you. Uh, if you don't own one, you can keep that with you. That's our gift to you. Today is an exciting day for us as a church. We're starting the, the book of Hebrews, and this, this uh, series is going to take us about 20 weeks or so. Uh, so we're going to go through it up until December, where we're going to start our Christmas series. we will hit pause. Then we're going to come back to it back in January. It's going to lead us up to our Easter series. So uh, if you uh, if you want to read through this book, chop on this book, absorb this book, you know, get to know this book, then please, uh, Hebrews is where we're going to be. As we go through the book of Hebrews, I believe that God wants to communicate with you. I believe that God wants to communicate to you. And what I'm going to constantly be asking is that we would start even now to ask God, Lord, give us ears to hear. Throughout this entire series, throughout this entire book, you'll hear me say over and over, you'll hear it from God, you'll hear it to the people, you'll hear it to say, God, would you just simply give me ears to hear? Now, I'm not saying that anyone walked in here without ears on today. What I'm saying is that sometimes we don't hear the true message. Are you with me on that? That we don't really hear what God is trying to communicate, what God is trying to say, what God wants to speak to us. And I think sometimes we we need to ask God, God, just give me ears to hear. Right now, right where you're at, would you just simply, uh, in your own voice, in your own word, in your own mind, in your own heart right now, just say, God, give me ears to hear. God. Give me ears to hear your voice today. Give me ears to hear your word. Oh Lord, we pray and we ask and we plead. Speak with us and to us. In your great name, oh Lord Jesus. Amen. Communication. It's more complex than you think. You know? I mean, if you're... Uh, ever been in a relationship? You know, it's not just what you say, but what? How you say it. Because there's, there's, <laughs> she's heard that a lot, right? We know that one in our house. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that right though? Like there's messages and then there's messages and you want the messages not to get confused and you want the messages to line up and you want what you say and how you say it to actually meet each other. And it's why we need to be asking God, God, give me ears to hear uh, your message. God, give me hear, ears to hear where you're trying to communicate. Because listen, where communication fails, right? We, things break down. Where communication fails, uh, are misread, misheard, misinterpreted, you get everything from, from fear, you get everything from, from to anger, you get everything from frustration to doubt to despair. And where a message is misinterpreted or even not heard at all, you get all these feelings within your soul that you're saying, I'm not sure if I believe what truly is being said. And because of the misunderstanding, what happens is is we miss out on what God really wants to say. And so in the book of Hebrews, follow me, in this book, what you have is a letter to Jewish Christians that have ultimately misheard what God is saying. They've misinterpreted the true message of God. And so this letter was written in the face of You're not understanding the message. You're not understanding the gospel. And so this this letter is trying to help you and I and these people come back to understanding the true message of God that what he's trying to communicate. And and so what the Hebrews have been doing is they've misinterpreted the scriptures in such a way that they have replaced their intimate relationship with God and they've went to an outward religious behavior. That's what's happening. And so they've forsaken their relationship, their walk, their intimate time with Jesus, and they've actually gone to just simply church. They just do religion. And so if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing I want you to write down. Where you fail to hear the true message of Jesus, you will replace your relationship with God with a duty for God. Where you misinterpret the real message of Jesus, you will you'll begin to live out of duty rather than delight. You with me on that? And so these Hebrews, they're these group of people that have lost sight of Jesus. They're missing out on the true realities that come in a relationship with God. But here's the good news is that God is actively speaking. God is actively pursuing. God still wants to communicate with you and I in such a way that he says there's more to it. So hear me. Give us ears to hear. That brings us to Hebrews chapter 1. That's the background. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, long ago. Everyone say, long ago. Long ago. Long ago. At many times, in many ways, in galaxies far, far away. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. <laughs> I made a joke about all the geeks in the first service. I won't do it this time. <laughs> Guilty, right? Long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke. Everyone say God spoke. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, I want to stop right there because I want to clarify something. God is not an idea to be thought about. God is a God who wants to communicate he wants to speak. He wants to interact with you. He wants to to be loved. He wants to be obeyed. He wants to be worshiped. Because listen, when we do those things, it leads us into the best possible relationship that we can have with God. Not just simply because you better do this or else, but God is an intimate God, not in a galaxy far, far away, hiding behind the moon somewhere that just says, think on me. No, he wants to think with you, talk with you, be with you in a relationship with You with me on that? And so this this speaking that God wants to speak, he's always wanted to speak. And so let's look at it again. God spoke and God speaks. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2. But in these last days, everyone say last last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. Now, let me explain this little phrase called last days. What he's doing is he's separating all of time into two sections. So he draws a line right down the middle of time and says, long ago is a period and last days is a period. You're with me on that? So long ago is a reference to the Old Testament. Everything before Jesus That's long ago. God wants to speak. God wants to communicate. God wants to talk to his people. And before Jesus, he spoke to his people by sending the prophets. But the last days is speaking of the moment where Jesus came up till now. That's the last days. Now, what we need to understand about these last days is that these last days means that there's not another time period coming. Last means nothing behind it. If you're last in line, there's no one behind you. You with me on that? That's what he means. He says he says the message I want to communicate to you is so full. It's so deep in sending Jesus that I, that there's not another message coming. There's not another day coming. Now, we know as Christians there is another day that we will spend in eternity standing face to face before God. But listen, it's already started when Jesus came, the message that God wants to communicate is here. We're in the last days. The message of God is so full that there's not going to be another third form of communication. Now, God wants to communicate, always wanted to communicate, always wanted to give you a message. In the, in the long ago, he did it by the prophets, but in these last days, he does it by his son. Now, What's interesting about the way this text is worded is that the author of Hebrews is not referencing God speaking to us through some things that Jesus has to say. He's he's not referencing that that Jesus' teachings is what God's trying to communicate. Now, follow me, because the author of Hebrews is not saying that if we listen to the words of Jesus, we will hear the words of God, although that's true. You with me on that? It is true. Jesus is God in the flesh. When Jesus speaks, you hear the voice of God. He says that in verse 2 and in verse 3. He says, listen, I want to speak to you by my son. And I appointed my son to be the heir of all things. And through my son, he created the world. That is making Jesus one with God. And if that's not enough, he goes on in verse 3 and says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God is like? Jesus. You with me? He says, listen, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the exact radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, although Jesus is God, and when Jesus speaks, he is speaking for God, but what this text is trying to say is that there is a message that God wants to communicate, not necessarily through the words of Jesus, but hear me, by sending Jesus. Sending Jesus is the message. Jesus coming to us is the message that God wants to speak. And so the question is, what is God trying to say to us by sending his son? Well, let's look in verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen to this. After making purification for sins, he sat down. Everyone say sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, here's what it says. It says that Jesus came to make purification for sins. Now, I know what you're thinking. Sin. Is a wildly unpopular idea. <laughs> nobody likes to talk about sin, but it's all throughout the scriptures. I mean, if you look at our culture, you look at our world, I mean, nobody is like, hey, will you talk to me about sin real quick? <laughs> Nobody's looking for that, but the truth is that sin is a reality. It's a reality of you, it's a, it's a plague that, that happens to you and me. It's what we see all the time. Some people have gone as far to say that, that there's no such thing as sin. I don't believe in sin. You know, people who say there's no such thing as sin, they always change their mind when you slap them and take their stuff. <laughs> you with me on that? Oh, there's no such as thing. Bam! Give me that. And they're like, hey, that's not right. Why is that not right? <laughs> So you obviously have a concept of what is right and what is wrong. I mean, you know, you, you know that there is sin. So don't, let's not just try to pretend that there's no such thing. There is sin. The Bible is clear. We see it in our nature. We see it in our world. There is absolutely sin. And listen, it's sin. It plagues you. It plagues me. It pulls on us daily. And the Bible says that sin needs to be purified. The wages of sin is death. If sin is not purified, we're all in the grave. And so one of the most destructive things that people in the church can do is when you start to pretend that you don't sin, but other people do. When you start to pretend like, like, like it's us versus them, you with me on that? So what happens is you hear the truth about Jesus and Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is punished in our place for the the wrath of God that you and I deserve, that our sin deserves. And when we receive that truth by faith, right, we fall down by his grace, we fall down in repentance, and we fall down before God and ask for forgiveness. Lord, Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, purify me. And the Bible says that Jesus has done that. But what happens over time is we start to believe that we're good enough. Sin doesn't affect us anymore. That sin's not that big of a deal. And and we kind of stand up. Instead of kneeling at the cross, we stand up and we kind of lean up against the cross and we'd be like, hey, all you got, you need to come get right. You you better do it. It's coming for you. You better not. And it's like we pretend like we don't struggle. But everybody else does. It creates this us versus them. And it makes the church look really arrogant and really prideful. And actually, honestly, it actually works against what Jesus is trying to do. We need to be on our knees worshiping because of his grace and because of his mercy, not because we did something or earned something, but because he is the Savior and he is good. And sin is a reality for every one of us. And here's the thing about sin. All sin is rooted in untrust. you probably heard me say that before. All of sin is rooted in untrust. It's rooted in this understanding that maybe God's not for me maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't know the best possible way to life. Maybe God is, is, I mean, he's 2,000 years removed from my situation. It's 2018. He may have knew what was best for people then, but my situation now, my life now, my direction now, God must not love me. God must not know what's best for me. And so we don't trust God's plan for our life, and we go against what God wants for us. That's sin. We go against what God wants, and we start to take our own path in life. Now, listen, we'll even say stupid things like, I know it's wrong, but I just have peace in my heart about it. You ever heard that? Let me just ask you, who told you that peace in your heart was the litmus test for God's plan over this. I mean, who told you that? Oh, I just got peace in my heart about. It. That, 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 listen, if you have peace in your heart while clearly going against what God's word says, listen, you're making peace with your flesh and not the spirit. And Romans 8 will tell you clearly, you live by the flesh, you'll die. But to live by the spirit is life and peace. God still knows what's best for you, and he loves you. And so what happens is we'll try to justify our sin. Even in the church we do. We justify our sin, and and, and you won't admit maybe that what you're doing is sin, and you'll try to make yourself feel better about your sin by looking for other people around you to maybe give you some affirmation. I mean, I got peace in my heart. Isn't that good enough? Tell me it's good enough. Tell me that's right. Tell me that's the direction I should go. And listen, you won't listen to really anyone else who clearly tells you what the Bible says and says it's sin. And what we do is we will leave the clearly lighted path of God's word. And by your own sinfulness, you'll pull out your machete and start to make your own path in the dark jungle. I know this is the path that God's word says, but I think we should go left. And you start hacking and hacking and hacking and hacking through this jungle, making your own path while saying, you know what? I really think this is the way we should go. I really think this is what we should do. I think this is a shortcut. I'm not trusting that God's way is the best way for me. I'm going to trust my way. I think this is the way we should go. And you hack, and you hack, and you hack, and you hack, and you're looking for this fountain of life. And listen, you never really find it. Never find it. You just say, oh, this is the most convenient. I think it's a shortcut to joy. Oh, this is the best thing. This is going to make me feel good. All sin is birth. Out of not trusting God. You don't trust what God's best for you is. And that always, listen, leads to disobedience. It leads you to say, my way is better than God's way. It leads you to to say, I want what I want. has nothing to do with God. I'm going to deal with this my way. And instead of doing what God asks you to do, which is being more faithful, more and more faithful and digging in to God more even when it's more difficult you take the easy route and you're just like let's just go this way that seems to be the path of joy and listen most people that are on that path for a while it's not that they even don't have ears to hear it's truly that they don't want to i don't want to hear it i don't want to talk about sin but sin is a reality The cross of Christ is a picture of the destructiveness of sin. The cross of Jesus is a picture of the destructiveness of sin. The cross of Christ is a picture of God's anger towards sin. But listen to me, because there's good news. The cross of Christ is also a picture of the incomprehensible mercies of God towards sinners. Like There's good news for us. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And God despises sin. Sin wrecks our relationship with God. Sin enrages the heart of God. But the good news is, is that it doesn't stop there because it says that Jesus makes purification for sin, and that's the best news in the world. Look in verse 3 again. It says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I'm no English major, but English majors, this is your time to shine. Is that past tense? Is that present tense? Or is that future tense? After making, he sat down. Let me help you out. That's past. Means he already made. If you, if you King James people in here, most of the texts say after he had purged, after he had cleansed. After he had dealt with our sins, he sat down. And so Jesus sitting down for the Hebrew listener, that would have been a representation of a job being complete. It's done. It's finished. It's no more purification for sins done through Jesus on the cross. It says it's finished after he had made, after making purifications, he sat down. What that means for you and me is that the process of purifying sin, the, the purification process of Jesus making your mistakes right before God, the purification process of, of God cleansing you listen, it's done. Amen. It's done. Nothing more to be added. Nothing more to be taken away. When you realize it's done, the only thing that remains is worship. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Now, now Jesus sitting down and finishing the purification process for our sin is difficult for us to understand because all of this purifying and all of this sitting happened in the past, and my sin and your sin is pretty recent, is it not? Like 30 minutes ago, recent. <laughs> right? I mean, you're with me on that. And so it's difficult for understand how that works. So if Jesus' purification for sins occurred in the past, where does that leave you and I today? Well, let me just tell you. The Bible says that for those who would believe, you're pure. Those who believe in Jesus, you're clean. Those who believe in Jesus, you're washed. You're done. You're complete. You are covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross. So let me clarify this for you the sins that seem to be haunting you from 20 years ago, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, now listen, it also means that the sins that wait on you 20 years from now, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you're taking notes, write this down. All of your sin was future sin When Jesus died for sin. All of your sin was future sin when Jesus died for sin. When someone puts their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, all your sins, past, present struggles, future coming sin has been purified by the blood of the Lamb upon the cross. Write this down. Jesus forgives your sins of yesterday The same way he forgives your sins of tomorrow, by grace through faith. Jesus forgives your sins of yesterday the same way he forgives your sins of tomorrow, and it's only by grace through faith. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We receive it by faith. It is a gift of God. Jesus has made purification for sins once and for all time. That's a theme through this book. Once and for all time, which means when it comes to your forgiveness, there's nothing left to be done but to receive it by faith. It's why I tell you all the time that God doesn't love some future version of you. He doesn't love you finally someday when you clean yourself up or get your act right. Listen, he loves you in this moment, and he can do it because of the cross. He can do it because of the blood of Jesus. He can still be be just and right and holy and pure because all of this wrath of God towards sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ, which means he loves you right now. He's always loved you. He will always love you because he has, as in already purified sin of those who believe. Now, remember the question, what is the message that God wants to communicate to us by sending his son? Well, it's twofold. The first one is that God loves you. Everyone say, God loves me. We love the ambiguous us. God loves us. But God loves me. Like, God loves you. It's so easy, but so hard to receive, isn't it? The second point is this, that God's trying to communicate, is that Jesus is better. Everyone say, Jesus is better. Listen, Jesus is better than sin. It's so easy, but it's so hard to receive, isn't it? Jesus truly is better than sin. God wants to communicate to you this morning that he loves you and that Jesus is better than sin. If you're taking notes, write this one down. This is the last one. The message that God wants to communicate to you is that God is not the enemy of all that is good, but rather the source of it. God is not the enemy of good and joy in your life, but rather he's the source of it. The question is, will you trust that Jesus is better? Will you trust that Jesus is the good in your life? I want you to imagine for a moment that you're playing with your kids uh, out here in the front of the church. Some of you don't have kids. Imagine maybe they're your future kids or there's some kids that you really love a lot. And so imagine you're out there playing with your kids, and, 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 and you can move down to that, that, that grassy area right in front of the road out there, right? There's a big grassy area. Imagine you're, you're playing Frisbee. Anybody like Frisbee? My wife doesn't play Frisbee. She can't catch or throw it. We love her. <laughs> imagine, imagine you're out there with your kids, and you're playing Frisbee, right? You're out there. And, and then all of a sudden, one of your kids, they decide that they're going to go for a long one out in the street, Right on the highway. Throw it to me. What do you do in that moment? He said, like, well, no, get over here. You, you, you go and you grab them by the arm. You know, parents, you know that spot right there in bus. You're like, come here, get over here. And, and it's like, oh, we're okay. And the kid's like, ah, all right. And you just smile. You got to get over, right? And you, you bring it. You know, you're like, I got bruises, right? <laughs> you, you reason with them. You're like, come on, don't, don't, don't go out. I'm pleading with you. Just stay in the grass with me. Stay with us over here. It goes better for you over here, right? You talk to them. You warn them. You paddle them. Don't do that anymore, right? If you do that, it's going to end bad for you. If you do that, it's going, you're going to die. And you know what they say? They say, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Oh, okay, I understand. And then you play for a little bit, and then what happens? They decide. Despite the warnings, despite the pleading. They look, oh, some other kids are out there playing in the street. It looks pretty fun. That ball bounces really good out there in the street. I'm gonna go out in the street out in the street. And they run back right in the middle of Highway K. But this time the truck that you knew was coming is coming right for them. Now, I have not met a parent yet that wouldn't say, I'm taking that hit. There's not a parent that loves their kids that wouldn't stand there and say, hey, 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 watch this, watch this, watch, 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 watch. I told them, I told them, watch this. (laughs) No, man, I mean, seriously, what are you doing? You're running out there, are you not? You're running right for them. You are pushing them out of the way and you are taking that blow for them. Listen, that's what God did by sending Jesus. Listen, he runs towards you. He sees destructiveness of sin, and he warns us long ago. He says, don't you see? That's going to end bad for you. Don't you see? The grass is better. Don't you see? The street is dangerous. Don't you see? My presence is full enough for you. I'm better than this. And we run out into the street. And then Jesus comes and he takes the blow upon the cross that you and I deserve. God does not stand by watching, say, hey, 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 watch. He gives us warnings. He tells us. He pleads with us. Sometimes, sometimes some of you can testify. He even grabs you and says, "Uh uh-uh, you're coming right here. And he takes the hit for you. Jesus doesn't stand by. He takes the death blow so that you could live. So let me ask you a question. How did God become the bad guy in our culture? How does that happen? How does does God become the enemy of all that's good? Oh, God, oh, I can't, oh, you church people, oh, oh, God, I can't stand God. How did God become the bad guy in the whole thing? Jesus came to make purification for sin, which is the great killer of mankind. How is he the enemy? That's a message of love. You know how it happens It's because they hear, get out, the get out of the street, 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 but they never hear the true message that Jesus came. Jesus came and he died the death that we deserve to die. The message of love, the message that God is wanting to communicate by sending Jesus is, I love you so much that I removed you from the blow of death and I took it for you. That's the message of I love you. That's the message that you're his. Jesus says, I pushed you out of the way so that you could live. I took your place. I died your death so that you could live a full, abundant life. Love is the message. But hear me, it's not just love. It's not just love. But it's also Jesus is better. The message that you don't have to be chained to your sin. Let me say that again. Through faith, you don't have to be chained to your sins. You don't have to be owned by fear. You don't have to have doubt that this is going to be the path of joy in your life. You don't have to live trying to hack your way through, trying to figure it out, because Jesus is better. His path is better. Jesus is better, which means sin doesn't have to master me. Which which means sin starts to lose its grip on me. Because God hasn't abandoned in me. Jesus raised from the grave and he says, listen, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm leading you, I'm putting my spirit in you to guide you so you don't have to wonder if I love you or if I know what's best for you. You know that God is there. You live this new life that God has given and you watch sin lose more and more and more of its power in your life and you start to see more and more transformed into the image of Christ. That's what happens when you know that Jesus is better. So the message that God wants to communicate by sending his son is a message of love, but it's also a message of hope. It's a message of hope. Hear me. That Jesus is better than sin. Jesus is better. The reason why I wanted to spend this entire Sermon on this point is because the people of Hebrews that it's been written to, they stopped hearing. They stopped hearing and they started making their own path. They stopped believing that God truly loved them and that Jesus is better than sin. What I'm hoping for us this morning is that he'll give you ears to hear that he loves you and that Jesus is better. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray right now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and give us hearts to receive and ears to hear your truth. I pray that your voice would communicate loud and clear that you love us, that you love me, despite my flaws, despite my failures, despite my shortcomings, that despite my sin, that you love me. And that today, this morning, you're wooing me, you're pleading with me, you're chasing me down, and you are calling me to yourself to say, It's better. You are better. Jesus, we come before you open-handed, leaving nothing back, asking you to remind us that through the cross we are pure, that through the cross our sin has been dealt with, that our sin has been paid for. And that means I can run to you. That means as a church, as your people, they can cling to you rather than sin. Lord, change us this morning from the inside out. Change us, oh God. Transform us through the power of your word. Transform us through the power of your voice that's in your word. Transform us through the spirit of God that now dwells inside of those who would believe. Transform us to hear your voice when you call. Jesus, today, many of us, many of us, have believed that sin is better. But today, today we're acknowledging that we want Jesus and we want Jesus to be better for us. Right now, right where you sit, if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? I've done some things. I've walked some paths. I've, tried to make my own way.